Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class is sponsored by Stephen Rabbivort, the Breakfast King, in honor of Haron Shochet for keeping the synagogue in perfect order for so many years until the Rabbi Farhi came, ruined all the order. In celebration of the fourth day of Hanukkah, Zaku Baruch, Haron Shochet, for everything that you do every single day for the Beta Knesset. Breakfast in the class is also dedicated in loving memory of Jacob's father, Shaul Ini Alava Shalom, Lehilui Nishmat Shaul Ben Victoria, sponsored by Raquel and Jacob Ini and family. Um, this week of cold brew was sponsored by Emmanuel Zara, dedicated in honor of Haron Shochet. Double whammy, Haron. So have breakfast and coffee. Thanking him for his patience, kindness, and all the work he does for the synagogue and community, and for answering my annoying questions without being annoyed. And finally, the week of cold brew, sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to, good, to do good today and every day. Beautiful. My friends, um, I, uh, I wanted to share with you one interesting idea of, about the outcome of Hanukkah. You know, we mentioned already a couple times in various different iterations the fact that sometimes people see the end of the story as something which is really the middle. They think that the story ended here, but actually that's not where the story ends. Uh, I'll give you an example. The uh, brothers, they, th they have this problem with Yosef. What do they think the end of that story is? They sold them. And they're thinking, you know, <laughs> Hazak, hazak, minit hazak. The story is now over, we got rid of it. That's not the end of the story. Where is that? That's the beginning of the story, right? Many examples like that. We're familiar with the story of Hanukkah. You think, wow, fantastic, they won the war, end of the story. We've already explained that actually that wasn't the end of the story. They waited one more full year in order to be able to institute the laws, the day of the Shana Acheret, like the Gemara says. They waited another full year. Why? Because they were waiting to see, would this miracle, would it result in something good or would it result in something bad? Would the Jewish people just become as good or equal to the people that they replaced as the bullies in the playground? Would they just become the new dominant force in the world and, and trade in their legacy for the legacy of the Greeks? You know, you beat the most powerful superpower. What are you? de facto, you're the most super, the most powerful superpower. So the Jewish people stood a risk of actually following in the ways of the people that they beat, and that would have been the most ironic and depressing turn of events, wouldn't that? Wouldn't that have been? So therefore they waited to see how would the Jewish people respond. One year later when they were satisfied that the Jewish people actually were held in abeyance, they stayed the Jews that they once were, even with victory, even with success, Right? Sometimes with success comes uh, a very heavy price. You know, like many ways we witness in this country where the success of the Jewish people and the relative, uh, the relative freedoms that we have have cost us in terms of Jewish identity, in terms of assimilation, and in terms of intermarriage. So many times what people think is the end of the story is really only a chapter somewhere in the middle. And sometimes it's even the beginning of the story. My friends, the story of the Chanukah which was the end of the suffering of the Jewish people, marked the beginning of the end for a family whose name was Chashmonai. And it is frightening to think that this family that became 
In that moment, the shining heroes of the Jewish people, they laid a foundation uh, for renewal, for rebirth. They saved the Jews. And what did they save the Jews from? Assimilation, connection with the Greek uh, uh, way of life. Eventually, this group, this family, would become watered down. They took, they seized the kingship along with the uh, kihuna. And in the aftermath of stealing the kingship, becoming the kings of Am Yisrael at that time, they were slowly but surely whittled down until the very last Hashmonai was a woman, a royal-blooded, so to speak, princess. And the final moments of her life, she's running through the palace uh, with a, uh, the, the, uh, the person who ran the mutiny, who was a slave of the king of the previous king, he wasn't Jewish, chasing after her to forcibly take her and to have children through her to continue to become the king, you know. She ran up to the roof, she says, anyone that says they come from the line of Hashmonaim, let it be known that they are a slave because I am the last of my line, right? And she jumps off the roof of the, of the, uh, of the palace. What a horrible, horrible end. And the rabbis say that that actually took place. Why? Because the Chashmonaim, who were Kohanim, they come from the tribe of Levi. They, they sought to take the kingship, which belongs in the hands of the tribe of Yehuda. And like the Pasuk says, Lo yasur shevet The staff of being king shall not transfer from the hand of Yehuda. So this story, which looks like the beginning of a happily ever after, is in fact, for the Chashmonai family, a very unhappily ever after. And there's a tremendous lesson to be learned in, that, uh, in the decisions that they made and in the mistakes that they made. You know, there are times in a person's life where their behavior needs to be aberrative. It needs to be out of line or not in sync with the person's general character. Take, for example, Yaakov Avinu, who goes to the house of Lavan and says, Im Lavan Garti, I, lo- I lived with Lavan, but you know what? I'm as Achiv Ani Biramaut. I'm his brother in trickery. He wants to trick me, I'm gonna figure out how to make sure that he doesn't hustle me, that he doesn't take advantage. Achiv Ani Biramaut. Yaakov Avinu dresses up like Esav. He has to be very careful that the man of truth doesn't actually lose his identity because of something he needs to do or be for a specific amount of time. You know, every single mitzvah that we do, we do with the right. Every mitzvah. Not only that, you make a berachai, you're supposed to pick up the food with the right hand. That's what we do. All these things are right-handed. There's one mitzvah that we do, actually two, with the left hand. One is the lighting of the candles. It's on the left side of the door. We also light from the left side to the right, okay? And as well, the mitzvah of tefillin. Now that's a strange thing. Because the reason why we do mitzvot with the right is because the right is associative with strength. amunai ne'edari bakoach. Your right hand, Hashem, is adorned with strength. Hashem doesn't have a right hand. He don't even have a hand. So what are we saying? We're using the terminology. 
Because in the vast majority of the world, uh, a bunch of people are right-handed. So since they're right-handed, which is their stronger arm? Their right, their right arm. So when a person does mitzvot, they should be done with strength. Right? So it's an unbelievable concept that all mitzvot should be done with strength. You come pray, don't pray like this. You do the right thing, don't forget why, you know, why you're there. Understand, recognize, uh, and double down on the fact that you have an opportunity to do something uh, with a big smile. You could, uh, just a couple days ago, a guy called me up. He said, Rabbi, I want to tell you, I just want to share this, it's so beautiful. He says, I was inspired by the fact that you talked about giving, doing your very best, doing your very best in a mitzvah. You talked about it when a person lights one candle, according to Beit Hillel. I, I always wanted to support a yeshiva. I can't support a yeshiva, so instead, even if I can't support a whole yeshiva, I decide at the very least, let me take one or two people and support their journey. You take a rabbi, you know, you support him on his journey to becoming a rabbi. Two, three, four years he's in yeshiva, studying to become a rabbi till he's ordained. He needs, the, he needs someone to support him during that time. So you support him during that time. Now all of his future, you know, career and his classes and his good that he does in the world, that's because of you. You helped him through that time, through his studies. Uh, you helped him, allow, you'd allowed him to become ordained. The guy says, if I can't do all yeshiva, why, why don't I start with whatever I can? A yeshiva is made up of individuals. And the man is now going to be sponsoring two people throughout all of their studies to become a rabbi. Unbelievable mitzvah, right? But my friends, I want to share with you the way he said it. He says, I'm not, such a, I'm not a super wealthy guy. He says, but I always learned that when you give tzedakah, it has to hurt a little. It's got to be a little bit out, a little bit more than you give easily. Sometimes you have change in your pocket. I hate having anything in my pocket. If my wife asks me to take, put the keys in my pocket when I go to a wedding, I'm like, oh. I wanted to buy her the clutch, not because I want to buy her a gift, just so she can have stuff in her pocket. I don't, I, you know, this idea, there's no pockets in my gown. I want to sew all the pockets of my jacket close. I'm like, oh, sorry, honey. Sorry, there's no, <laughs> you know, I, 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 if I could, by the way, when I went to a wedding with Valley, I would check in the items in my pocket, by the way. I don't like having things in my pocket, all right? So Baruch Hashem, in the back of my phone, there's a little wallet over there. It's even attached to my phone. I don't carry anything in my pockets, okay? You have change in your pocket. It's driving you crazy. You put it in tzedakah. You did yourself a favor. You know what I mean? You want to get rid of your change. When you give tzedakah, it's supposed to hurt a little. Because you're giving tzedakah, you're doing kindness with givurah, with strength. So therefore, everything is done with yamin. How come, therefore, the candles of Chanukah are on the left side? Not only that, what do we say? Ala nisim, ala purkan, ve'ala givurot. Givurot is left side or right side? Ironically, left. Why? 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 Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu's greatest strength is in kindness. El, which indicates might, where does it appear? Right, what does it mean? El, if you look in the Sefarim, that means God's might. What is God's might? His might is in his tzedakah. God's greatest strength is in his, in his, why? Because the greatest strength is in overcoming the self, yani. okay? But the point here is, so why would we light givurot? It shouldn't be on the weaker side, yadecha, yadkeha, the weaker hand like we say by tefillin. You know what the answer is? So beautiful. The answer is we were strong. We did great things in overcoming the Greeks. 
fantastic things. We were mightier than mighty. We, there was many in the hands of the few, the strong in the hands of the weak. That's double givura. But the point is that we don't ever want that war should be our strength. We don't want that. Israel's army is called Tzva Haganah, it's a defense force. We have to, because otherwise we'd be dead. So we have to have the army. But if we could not have the army, like Costa Rica, Fadal, we would love to not have an army. But it's born of necessity. It is not the Jewish aim to take over the world. It has never been the Jewish aim to randomly start conquering as many countries as we could. By the way, even if we could, we have no desire to do so. So therefore, we remind ourselves that the right side should be the mezuzah, the scroll. Hakol kol Yaakob, It's something that we have to do sometimes, but it's not who we want to become. The Chashmonaim had to do something. They needed to step up. Did they do the right thing? Absolutely. And they are remembered in the most positive light forever and ever for it. But because they didn't shift back out, that power that they, uh, that they tasted in war, they enjoyed too much. So they took that power in terms of being the king. And what happened? They weren't in their lane. You know, most people think, wow, what a horrible punishment. The Pasuk says, Lo yasur shevet the, the staff shall not transfer from Judah. Does the Pasuk say, Lo yasur shevet veha, veha mesir shevet And someone who takes it, Mot yumat. Does it say that? Does it say, right, Tikaret, that that soul should be cut off? Which is what happened to their family? It doesn't say in the Torah that the punishment for that is death. Why were they punished so horribly? My friends, I'd like to share that I don't think the Chashmonaim were punished. What do you mean? They were all wiped out. How could you say they weren't punished? They weren't punished. The nature of a human being's um, uh, being here on earth is about them fulfilling the mission that they came here to do. You are here because you're supposed to be here, because you're supposed to do something. If you are not doing you, then your very connection with your lifeline dries up. Imagine someone takes a scissors and they cut their tube that's giving them oxygen. Would we say, oh, look, you see Hashem punished him, he died. Hashem didn't punish you. You cut your own oxygen tube. If a person shifts out from the job that they're supposed to be doing, what happens? They no longer have a purpose, a reason here on earth. Fulfill your purpose, become full of life, be enlivened, be emboldened. Abandon your purpose, abandon your lifeline. They became the kings. They weren't supposed to be the kings because what happened? They stopped existing. Because the purpose of existence is to fulfill one's mission. Mabutai, we look back now in the story of Miketz and we see as well a very similar concept. Yosef has a dream. 
He knows that the fulfillment of that dream is important. So after two years, when he gets made the king over Egypt, and suddenly his brothers are coming down for food, and the power dynamic has indeed shifted, and the seeds of his dream seem to have been planted and watered, what does Yosef do? He seeks to be able to bring his brothers to Teshuvah. And whereas in the initial state of Yosef's dream, the brothers were not supposed to be subjugated to him, they were supposed to receive from him. They were supposed to benefit from him. Nowhere in the dream does it talk about one of the stalks of wheat kidnapping the other stalk and locking it in jail. Nowhere in the dream does it say that one star forced the other ten stars to go get the sun and the moon and drag them down and force them to bow. It doesn't say that. Yosef felt he needed to step away from his line, from his path, to be able to do something that needed to be done in that moment. And there are moments in life when we must do that. But it is oh so important to be able to know, to, to figure out how, to shift back into our path, on, to get back into our zone. Yosef manages to remember that he's a king true, that he's destined for greatness true, that he is a Baal Halomot, he is a master of dreams true, but he's also a brother. And that journey ends at the beginning of next week's parasha. When we see this, and Yosef could not hold back anymore as he stood opposite his brothers. Because all the other storylines, king, Baal Chalomot, the subjugation, the right one from, the, from Rachel Imenu, all the lines, they faded into obscurity when they were faced with the more dominant storyline of his life, which is what? The answer that he gave to the angel Gabriel, when Gabriel said, what are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for, I'm looking out for my brothers. The Chashmonaim never shifted back. There are times, my friends, when a person in work needs to stand up for themselves. There are times. Someone's taking advantage of you. you. That harsher side needs to come out. It has to. Otherwise, they're going to trample all over you. How do you put that away? You're at work all day. You're outsmarting everybody. That's how you make your money. Being smarter than everyone else in the room. You come back home and you're still trying to outsmart everybody in the room. Do you understand me? trying to figure out how to manipulate your wife and your kids to get them to do what you want. And you know what? You're honing that craft every day. All day. And all of a sudden you just have to shut it off. That's what we're learning from the, the decimation of this family. They had to figure out they had to find an off switch. Yosef HaTzadik had to find, had to figure out where, where he could find an off switch. And eventually, eventually he found it. My friends, one of the most important things to do with a person's time is to think. And we live in a world which increasingly is pushing the ability to think and to focus 
out of our grasp. Because where once the busyness of life, it occupied various pockets, now because you have in your pocket a phone or whatever, there's almost no time when there's nothing to do. And you witness people doing it, by the way. You ever see? People sit down and they reach for their phone. How long did they sit doing nothing before they reached for their phone? Maybe one second. Now, again, I'm not saying anything bad about the phone. People think that there's a crusade against technology. My crusade is not against technology. My crusade, maybe perhaps in this conversation, is, is about where something, whatever that thing may be, comes in and steals something more important than itself. So if all the sports scores are there and you're up on all the news and you did all of that, that means that that came, even if it's good stuff, even if you're learning, I don't know, you're reading, you're developing a new skill, you learn a new language. The Mishnah and Avot says a person always has to be mechashev, you have to weigh up sechar mitzvah keneged hefseda against what you lost in order to achieve it. You understand that point? And vice versa with the Avera as well. You know, what's the, the problem of the Avera versus what you could have accomplished if you didn't do the Avera. So a lot of people talk about the negative elements of the phone. Forget the negative parts of it for one second. Let's just talk about what you lost when you never give yourself time to think. When you're uncomfortable just being alone Silent in your thoughts. Because how is a person supposed to remember or figure out what they're supposed to be or where they're supposed to be going if they don't have time to contemplate, to think about it? How are you supposed to do that if you can't think about all the signs that Hashem is sending you? And the only way to think about them is to spend the time to think. You know? I imagine that there'll be a time when we'll set an alarm on our phone to tell ourselves to turn the phone off so that we could have some time without the phone. But then it will be the phone as well that will ring the second alarm telling us that the time without your phone is over and it's time to come pick it up again. Your phone is your neediest child. Look at me, look at me, look at me. It's important not to lose focus of, of your purpose, of your mission, because ultimately, your sustenance, your mazal, your biracha in this world comes from, from the, the time, the energy, and, uh, and the focus that you have on being the person that you were supposed to be when God sent you to this world. Lose focus, we know the end of that story. Gain focus, Yosef HaTzadik saves his whole family. Bezat Hashem, we should be zocheh to learn these messages, to see the light of Hanukkah spread in our life, to understand that while it is a very important and very beautiful thing, we had to take steps to ensure that people would not see it as the right hand of Yaakov Avinu, but rather as a necessary sidestep, but at the same time, a sidestep nonetheless. Baruch Adonai